We are so pleased to announce a beautiful new addition to our family. So begins a typical birth announcement that leads to a date, a name, and maybe even the place where the child was born. In sending the announcement, the parent uses special stationery or a uniquely designed template because the parent is pleased, proud, and anxious to let friends and family know the good news. What would a birth announcement for Jesus sound like? John's Gospel provides us with one. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son. What would a birth certificate for Jesus look like if birth certificates were a thing in His day? What information would be printed on it? This Advent, the pastors will share commentary on this imagined certificate in our sermon series, Jesus' Birth Certificate. Join us as we consider the good news announcement of Jesus' birth and explore the significance of one who was born among us but lived as God with us. We continue our sermon series as we fill in Jesus' birth certificate. Last week, we filled in the name. This week, we will try to fill in the date. Before we turn to Scripture, let us turn to God in prayer once more. Let us pray. Holy God, you are the transcendent God of eternity and the imminent God of right here and right now. So be with us. Be born into this moment that as scripture is read and sermon is proclaimed, we might be born into you. Amen. Our scripture passage comes to us from the second chapter of Luke, verses 1 through seven. Hear now how Luke details the birth of Jesus and hear the word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and to who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Your sermon last week, George, made me curious about my own birth story. So I asked my mom what she remembered about the day I was born. There may be more details. It's easier to remember only two births than seven. The first detail my mom recalls about the day is that my dad wore a pink shirt to the hospital. They had yet to find out my biological gender. And my mom said that when the nurse came in to check on her and the baby, me, she said that the nurse said that the heartbeat was fast and turned to my dad and said, your shirt may be accurate. Well, even though my dad was wearing a pink shirt and they were already prepared to call me Katie, (laughs) my mom and dad claimed they knew it was a boy. My mom said she remembered how excited she was to hold me and that my dad was not as scared as he was when they had my older brother, Jamie. Jamie brought me a little plastic horse and was very confused as to why I couldn't hold it. And that's about it. 
Well, I was born at night. But then it got me thinking about the things I remember about the day Camden was born. And I'll have to admit that it didn't start off on the right foot. Valerie got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and well, I was still sound asleep. And Valerie yelled for me around 1.30 a.m., and I sprang to my feet to see what was happening. And she said something to the effect of, it's time. And the next thing I knew, I woke up lying on the hallway floor with my feet sprawled between the bathroom counter and door. I remember I could feel the chills quickly rise through my spine and then smack. Yep. As soon as she told me baby Camden was coming, I fainted. I woke up very confused, and after a brief look to make sure I was okay, Valerie said, you better get it together. Go back to sleep, and I'll wake you up in two hours. She went downstairs to work, sent some work emails while I slept it off. We made it to the hospital about 4.30 a.m., and we welcomed Camden around at 5.11 p.m. It was St. Patrick's Day. Taylor Swift was playing in the room, and there were lots of tears and lots of joy. It's always interesting to hear what details we remember and share about birth stories. If we could not recall the exact date of a particular event, say a birth date, we could follow the flow of Luke's narrative and provide the names of public officials at that time because this would be something that was historically documented. So I was born in 1988. Can anyone recall who was president then? Reagan, Ronald Reagan. He was president from 1981 to 1989. And can anyone recall who was governor of South Carolina in 1988? I had to look it up. Carol Campbell, who was governor from 1987 until 1995. So if in my birth story, the only evidence of its date was the fact that Ronald Reagan was president and that Carol Campbell was governor of South Carolina, my date of birth could be any time their terms of office overlapped, any time between 1987 and 1989. Perhaps Luke is trying to offer a date in time by providing us with similar historical details. So let's take a closer look at the details provided by Luke. Bear with me. Well, I don't know you really should say bear with me in a sermon, but maybe it's buckle up. Luke tells us in those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So according to Luke, Caesar Augustus was emperor of Rome when Jesus was born. Augustus was emperor from 27 BCE until his death in 14 CE. The census or registration was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. This is a good detail, but this is where the first difficulty comes. Quirinius didn't officially serve as governor of Syria until 6 CE, at which time he did conduct a census of Judea. This is likely the census referred to in Acts 5.37. So Luke, who is the author of the gospel and Acts, is aware of this later census, which is likely why in Luke's gospel he notes it was the first. 
But if Quirinius didn't serve as governor until 6 CE, then our initial assumption is that Jesus was born between 6 CE and 14 CE, when their terms of office overlapped. Fortunately, we have another gospel that offers insight. Matthew dates the birth of Jesus during the time of King Herod. This is Herod the Great, not to be confused with his son, Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist killed. Herod the Great died in 4 BCE. So comparing the two birth narratives, we see the dating does not line up. Well, some say that Luke made a mistake in who was governor at that time. The governor of Syria, before King Herod's death, was a man named Quintilius, who held the position from 6 until 4 BCE. So Luke simply made a mistake, made a typo. Possible, but not likely. It could be that the word while is actually better translated as before. So the registration happened before Quirinius was governor of Syria. Maybe. Another theory to reconcile this issue is looking deeper into the role Quirinius played in the Roman Empire as a Roman official. He, he held a variety of roles in the empire, from soldier and senator to military commander and governor. And the word for governor used in Luke's gospel can be translated as governing or commanding, or leading. So this may not be an official title here. Rather, it could denote that Quirinius was exercising authority, governing in some capacity. Another thought is that Quirinius actually served in this role twice. This notion is based on an inscription found on a tombstone that is said to be his that states the deceased was twice legate of Augustus in Syria. So this would then place his first post as governor after Quintilius in the year 4 BCE, while Herod was still alive. Got it? That's a lot. So let's recap real quick. Caesar Augustus was emperor from 27 BCE until his death in 14 CE. We know Herod the Great died in 4 BCE. We also know that Quintilius served as governor from 6 to 4 BCE. At such time, Quirinius could have succeeded him within that same year. So after all of this, we can land on the year 4 BCE as the year of Jesus' birth. But we can't be certain. It, it, it's most probable that Jesus' birth took place sometime between 6 and 4 BCE because according to Matthew, Herod was alive long enough to conduct a search for Jesus, await the report from the Magi, and consequently issue the killings of young boys under two years old, all of which would have taken some time. But as I said... We do not have sufficient evidence within scripture, historical documents, and or astrological data to precisely pinpoint the year Jesus was born, let alone the day of the year. And we'll hold a sermon for December 25th for another day. But why does all this matter? Why is it trying to date the exact time of any importance? 
Or does it even matter? The historical data and scriptural evidence that we have claim that Jesus was born. Born here on earth. Born the human one. There is far more here, and it is far bigger than a story of a baby being born. We cannot keep Jesus as a simple and helpless baby, always praying like the NASCAR legend Ricky Bobby. The search for historical facts of who, what, when, where, and how can sometimes draw us away from the point of such proclamation. The birth narratives in both Gospels are bigger and bolder. Jesus' historical birth pulls us into the narrative of cosmic hope for history. Jesus was born when Caesar Augustus was emperor, who brought about a season of peace to the Roman Empire known as the Pax Romana. To this, Jesus was born Savior, Prince of Peace. And the angels proclaimed to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I am bringing good news of great joy for all people, not just Rome. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Jesus was born during the reign of Herod the Great, who, backed by Rome, had established himself as king by military conquest of his own people. And his slaughter of the innocent was a ruthless attempt to maintain power. To this, Jesus was born King of kings and Lord of lords as he showed power through service and his might through mercy. Jesus was born when Quirinius was governor of Syria and was charged with conducting the registration, a symbol of Roman authority and oppression. To this, Jesus was born as the Messiah who would overthrow the powerful and lift up the oppressed. In those days, Jesus was born, period. Against and amid all that was happening in the world at that particular time, Jesus was born. Jesus was born into that world born into a family, born into a community, born into human history. Why does the date of Jesus' birth matter? Because we see in it that Jesus the Christ was born into a world of tyranny, inequality, and pride. Born to be light in that darkness a world we also know all too well. Richard Rohr writes, the power of the biblical proclamation is that it clearly invites us into cooperation, invites us into free participation and the love of God for all people. It is in the historical birth of Jesus, that the one universal mystery of divine incarnation is also intended for us. We are invited to see Jesus as more than a historical figure confined to a specific time and place. Rather, Christ is the cosmic 
and eternal reality always being born in the depths of our existence. Beloved, as we celebrate Advent and anticipate Christmas, we acknowledge the ongoing incarnation of God's love in our world, inviting us to participate in the divine dance of creation and redemption. Jesus invites us into the time-bound and personal level of life. Christ invites us into the incarnational reality beyond time and space and even life itself. Both the church as the body of Christ and the world into which the body of Christ is born are forever in a season of Advent waiting for hope to be born over and over and over again, waiting for a birthing of love of greater unity as we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. In those days, the word became flesh and lived among us. In these days, the word becomes flesh and lives among us. And right here and right now, the word is flesh and lives within us. And we have seen his glory. We see his glory, the glory of divine love by which all the world receives grace upon grace. Then, now, and forevermore. Amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.